G'day everyone, this is Kale Brock here, and I am feeling really good today. Now, I'm feeling really good because I actually just fired my boss. I, right now, am working full-time as a health professional. Now, this has been something I've been working towards, obviously, for a long time now, and I've kind of dabbled in it, but I've sort of kept that safety net going, and I've, you know, kept the part-time job, and still been going into work and doing the whole thing, which is kind of against everything that I'm about, which is, you know, having fun and enjoying life and whatnot, I've been really working for the men. And after 14 days straight working, I actually decided that it was enough. So I'm actually feeling really good today. And the last two days, the surf has been pumping. It's been ridiculous. So I've been surfing like 10 minutes down the road from my house. I've been like getting up at 530 going for a surf, coming home, punching out all this work, going surfing again in the afternoon, having family over for dinner and listening to like a bunch of cool music like Wu-Tang Clan, but then like going insane and listening to like this weird jazz and Irish music. It's been insane. So I thought that I would do a podcast and I really wanted to talk to someone who just has fun. And I thought, who better to chat to than the Mojo Master himself? How are you, Mojo? Uh, I'm awesome. I'm actually excited uh, to hear about your new uh, new ventures in um, you know slapping the man to the curb and uh, you know, <laughs> jumping on the bandwagon of doing what you love. So that's that's awesome. I'm so uh, I'm so excited to um, you know to see where the venture takes you and you know to hear about all the obstacles and stuff like that that come out with uh, you know with focusing on the thing that you're passionate about, but also as well the most enjoyable thing is how you overcome those things. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. But I was thinking yesterday, I was like, you know, this is, the last two days have been so perfect. And, you know, you go to bed and you're like smiling as you lay back in the pillow. And I was thinking, not enough people get to do this. Is that like something you come across? That I, I think there's this inherent belief that, you know, we actually, you know, being restricted is just part of everyday life where it shouldn't be. I don't think it should be. What do you think? Oh, mate, I based my whole business model around that because, um, you know, like our, our main philosophy um, or the main thing that we run by is it's your time to thrive. And I love the word thrive um, because I, I truly believe that, especially in the westernized world, we're born to thrive. You know, we're, we're given almost anything that we can. I mean, you don't even have to do anything you still get food on the table. Um, so... There's really there's no reason why we can't thrive. It's just it's all the belief systems and the structures and the environment that we put ourselves in. You know, like I was a kid at school, we got I actually had one of my teachers tell me, um, and if he's listening in today, I just want to say hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he actually uh, he kicked me out of class one day because I was just one of those kids who didn't fit into the school model. You know, I was I was too busy wondering why birds were flying and you know why people interact the way that they do. And I always had this head full of all these crazy these crazy thoughts or what I thought was crazy thoughts. Um, and I was highly creative, yet I was I wasn't an artistic creative person. So I was told I wasn't I wasn't creative and I wasn't good at art because I didn't fit the model. Um, and then I was told I wasn't good at school, so I didn't fit in at school. And then I was in a lot of trouble at home, so I didn't fit in at home. And it was as though like you know I was just I, I really thought I was going to get nowhere in life. And um, one of my teachers kicked me out of class one day, and he said, Michael. You know, um, with with your attitude and the way that you act and the way that you think, you're never going to get anywhere in life. And he said, you're probably one of the most likely kids I've ever met who are just going to end up, you know, an absolute failure in life. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty powerful. You know, it was a nice guy. <coughs> That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but you know what? Looking back on it now, it was probably it was probably something like I've had a few massive turning points in my life, and um, it's always been able to see the bright side of everything. I was one of those kids that if I got told not, you know, don't touch this, I would always touch it because I always went against the grain. Um, and I think it was probably that was one of the points as well that really kickstarted me into gear to figure out what it was that I needed to do in life and and how I was going to make my own rules and instead of playing by the the rules that society wanted me to become and that my parents wanted me to become and you know sometimes you've just got to give up all that stuff because everyone has their own journey in life and and I just found that you can't live by everyone else's journey you know my parents I think still question what the hell I'm doing in life uh, because <laughs> I don't have a job um, and well I, I I've got a career but I don't have a job um, you know so I still get I still get asked questions about that stuff. But then when I step out into the entrepreneurial space and I work with a lot of um, younger entrepreneurs and, and really passionate people, like I've got two main businesses that I work in uh, or that I own at the moment um, and one of them works with a lot of entrepreneurs and my passion is bridging that gap between the everyday person and the entrepreneur because I, I, I think you know the old business world used to be these business suit wearing fat smoking cigar guys who are trying to rule the world. You know the guys that I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've known several of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, big gold rings and you know, yeah. dark, dark, stingy rooms um, full of smoke. Um, but that's not that's not the business world these days. Like the, the people – I was speaking to one of my friends yesterday and he's, you know, a 20-year-old guy or in his 20s. Um, and he's loving life. Like he's, he's probably one of the most passionate, fun people oh, – I shouldn't say one of because I've, I know lots of them um, like yourself and there's just – the business world these days is just full of all these passionate people who are, are mixtures of everybody. You know, there was a school dropout who just had an idea and who went for it and now, you know, he's got a business and now he's employing people and he's having fun and, um, you know, anyone anyone who I take on as a client or anyone who I hang around is always someone who's fun because I, I determined that my life was going to thrive and that I didn't want to put myself in environments of people who brought me down. So – um, you know, all these people that I'm talking about are people who are just really awesome people. They're fun. They're passionate. They're energetic. They they really live with this passion that that so many people who I meet on the street don't have. Yeah. Um, well, they've got, but they just hide it because you know, mum and dad told them that they had to go get a job, but they didn't really want a job. They wanted to go and do the thing that they loved, or you know, they were the girl who grew up, or the guy who grew up dancing and they loved dance, but they got told they couldn't make any money from it, and so they gave up and. You know, now they're working a job that they hate and, you know, they're trapped. They've got a mortgage and, you know, it's, it's all of this stuff that's that really just, I don't know, traps most people because they try to live everybody else's model of life in the world instead of creating their own. Yeah, and I think how important is it to sort of align your what you think will be your life mission with your business? Because I am very aware that we actually need to have some money in this sort of world. So what I went out and did was actually aligned what I'm passionate about with my income. So, I mean, I think it's really important for people to get that and to get that we can do it. Because like you said, we're actually told throughout school and, you know, throughout university as well, we're actually trained just to go into the workforce and be like farmed, you know, be farmed like cattle. And really, we should be out thriving and shining and doing what we love. Oh, completely. I mean, the schooling system was built on the rote learning system, and the rote learning system is like a rotary. So, um, mm. you know, it's like a gear, it's a cog, um, and that's the model that it's based on. And that all happened um, really, it really came about um, around the First World War. Um, I mean, it was happening prior to that um, in certain parts of the world, but um, 
what happened was that they needed to uh, governments all around the world um, during World War One needed to get people working in factories to create ammunition and planes and tanks and you know all of the things that they needed um, during the war. So what they would do was they would um, you know rev up the community and get mums and dads and you people in the community into these factories to work. Um, and uh, really because of that, the kids had to go somewhere. So they really started, that's where the schooling system really took off. I mean, if you think about it prior to that, um, if your dad was a, um, you know, a leather maker or whatever, I'm sure they had some sort of special name back in the day. I mean, we could call it ye old leather maker. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he might have made saddles for horses. And just when you grew up, you had a choice where you were going to make saddles for horses. Or if there was someone around, like you had an uncle who was um, – you know, like an iron worker or, or something like that, you would go and learn from them. So there wasn't really a set schooling system. It was you, you went and learned the traits from mm. the people around you and you became good at that and that was your life journey. Um, but with the war, it, a lot of people were shipped into these factories um, and so they had to put kids somewhere and so they developed this uh, learning system where the kids would go to school and they would learn how to manufacture. And manufacture was if you do this, you get this result. If you do this, you get this result. And school's exactly like that. You read something, you put it down on paper, and then you either get told that you're right because you copied that answer and put it down on paper, yet you had to memorize it or learn it. Um, I was one of those kids. Like I just didn't, I didn't have a memory like that. My brain was too creative, and it still is. You know, um, so I, I didn't really fit into that that mold. And a lot of kids don't. And and I saw there were two things that happened to kids like me at school. Um, some of them ended up drug addicts in jail. Um, you know, some of them are, are, you know, in bikey gangs and, and things like that because they got told they could, would get nowhere in life. Um, and so they really gave up. They really didn't, didn't have, well, they believe they didn't have a choice to become something in the world. So they just, they sort of made up their own rules. Mm. Um, whereas I, I just, I watched a lot of people. I was watching other people and I've always had this, um, this thing of sitting back and watching how other people act and interact. And that's why I do what I do now because I'm so passionate about that. But what I found was that there were set principles that people followed to create their success. And I couldn't figure out why, if I implemented those same steps, why I couldn't be like that as well. And that's pretty much what I base my whole life on. Like I find people who are doing what I want to do and then I just go and find out what they know. Um, and then I start doing the same thing and figure out what works and what doesn't work along the way. Um, Whereas, yeah, with the rope with the rope system, you don't have that as an opportunity because it's do this, get this result. But in the real world, the world's changing so fast now that if you learn in the rope system and your brain's hardwired to the rope system, you get left behind. I yeah. mean, you might get a, the best you ever do is get a, well, I shouldn't say the best you ever do, but you know, you you get a really good job, but you get a good job working for someone who normally went against the odds. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, something that I I was I, I studied a lot was um, to find out what makes great entrepreneurs and great business leaders successful. And one of the things that I kept coming across were there were so many great business leaders and so many great thinkers out in the world who were dyslexic. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it was a common pattern because they just thought about things in a different way and they saw things, it seems muddled up to society, yet that's why they could overcome some massive barriers and some massive obstacles and hurdles because they, they could see things in a different way that other people couldn't see. Um, so, yeah, that's... That was a long. That was my long story about the the rote learning system. I think I went way <laughs> off the track with that. But, um, yeah, but it's good. Yeah, I, just, I think so many people lose their passion in that because we're trying to fit into this mold that if we 
do well at school, we get rewarded. Or if we do well in our job, we get rewarded. But we give up our dreams to create yeah. someone else's. Yeah, and I think a, a common thread uh, in the lives of people who have gone out and sort of followed their dreams is that they refuse to accept convention and what is considered normal. Like I remember being at school, and don't get me wrong, I actually did really well in the the road system. You know, I was ducks in my school and whatnot. But I was still that kid who I never wanted to... I never wanted to be like grouped into the whole student body thing. I never wanted to be told what to wear and how to study and whatnot. I was more like, you know, I'm going to come here, I'm going to do my thing and you're going to leave me alone and I'm going to set my own rules. And I think that's kind of the headset that we need to develop if you actually want to go out and follow your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, in this day and age, there are no rules. I mean, the rules, rules are set there to, well, I believe rules are, are set up to just keep people in line because if we don't have rules, I mean, there are people out there who um, who might have bad intentions and without rules, they will, they will live within their rules and if they've got bad intentions or they've got hate or they've got anger, then those rules that they live by can impact other people who live in good ways. Yeah. But I think if you have great intentions in, in the world, you're, you can sort of almost define your own rules because you'll find ways to live it out. I mean, I don't really want to go into taxation and business <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess, I guess, you know, rules are always meant to be broken and they're always meant to be challenged, providing that they're doing the right thing for people. Mm, yeah. um, you know, uh, Richard Branson always says, do no harm. That's one of the things that he lives by. And I've studied a lot of Richard Branson stuff and I've met him a couple of times. Um, and his philosophy in life is, you know, do what you want, but just do no harm. Um, and I really think that's a good principle. Like mine, my philosophy is, you know, just make sure what you're doing is with love. Um, because I, I believe all emotions are based on either love or on hate or fear. Yeah. Um, and so if you're living in fear, then you're going to do things that are a reaction instead of things that are beneficial to everybody else. So, you know, I do certain things in my business, which I get, every now and again, I get pulled up on something and someone will say, oh, you know, you're just doing this because of this and blah, 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 and you're all about the money. But it's it's all about the money to them because they're living with fear in their heart. But as you know, as a business owner, mm. you know, you have to, if, if you've got a huge passion, a huge dream and something that you love and you want to help more people, you need to have the money to be able to do that. Um, and sometimes as well, people who have a fear of money or of success or of you doing well, um, they will start defining that because you're breaking the rules, you're doing you're doing that because <clears throat> you're hating the world. But they're actually projecting their their crap almost onto you instead yeah. of, and you, you know you're you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, you know, like if I could do my job for free, I would. Um, and if I could get out to over a million people every year and help them to thrive for free, I would do it. Um, you know, and and I remember listening to a story about Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa was one of the best businesswomen who's ever walked the face of the planet. And the reason why I say that is, um, you know, she didn't fly around in private jets all the time and things like that, but she was probably one of the world's best negotiators because she couldn't build schools and do the things that she did mm. without being able to negotiate and without being able to lead other people to give her money so that she could go and do the thing that was right by her um, in her lifetime. So, you know, I think money is just a value transfer um, and if you're doing good things or you're offering value to the world, then people transfer that value in the form of money. But money actually has no conscious, uh, no conscious state, so it doesn't go to 
people who are screwing the world, it goes to people who offer value to others. And sometimes the value, value to others may not be a good thing to the world, but it's because other people value it that they make the money, I guess, yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and it's like a, it's like a reward for your services, really. And we've, you know, chosen money as that currency in most cases. You know, we get rewarded in a lot of other ways as well. Yeah, I mean, there's things... I, I really started thinking about this differently about four or five years ago. And what it was was... Um, one of the questions that I always ask is, what's the value transfer? Because we're always exchanging yeah. energy. My uh, One of the things I really like is uh, quantum physics and metaphysics. Mm. And I spend a lot of time studying that because that all relates to psychology and emotional states as well, um, which is really what one of my businesses, which is the Academy of Mind and Motivation, is all based on. It's how do we create the emotional states and the mental states to create the life that we want? Because even you can have money, um, like I've, I've worked with lots of business people who have tons of money, but they're miserable. And then I've also met people who have no money and are so happy and so loving and living life. So money doesn't really make anybody anything. It just makes them more of who they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Know, it like, amplifies like all the qualities that you have. I think that's so true. Like it doesn't exactly. matter if they're good qualities or bad qualities. If you've got more money, I think those things are amplified completely. Um, so, um, yeah, with with um, en- with energy, every thought that we have is energy, and every emotion we have is energy. And now it's scientifically proven that the electromagnetic field from the heart can be read around thirty-two feet away from the body. So, uh, and the electromagnetic field from the brain can be read. I think it's around nine feet away from the body. That's so, so cool. In saying that, our emotions are not only interacting with every cell, like every cell in our body is imprinting our emotions on a regular basis. But also as well, it's imprinting the environment around us. So whether it's our home or whether it's our um, friends, whether it's our the people that we're coming in contact with, we're, before someone even gets close to, well, before you even get close to having a conversation with someone, we're already projecting that energy or we are actually um, imprinting that energy on each other around other people. So if you're down and you're angry and you're stressed out, then the people who are naturally going to feel comfortable around you are the same people who are like you. Mm. So you're going to, you know, you I see it sometimes on social media. I don't get a lot of it these days um, because I guess I'm a bit out of touch with um, you know a lot of the crap that goes on in the world because I don't really watch the news or anything like that. I just all I worry about is you know who can I help today? Well, it's just poison um, that stuff. I mean, it just puts you. It's all negative. Like the journalists are pretty much told, go out and find the scariest things for people, and then most of these things don't even have any impact on our lives at all. It's so poisonous that stuff. Completely. Um, you know, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces that's coming up through social media because I'm on social media um, a bit. Mm. And um, just the stuff with all the fear campaigns and things like that, like when people are in fear, they, they just react to things yeah. without even thinking. I mean, your brain really stops working. Uh, well, it doesn't stop working, but I guess that um, is it the frontal cortex where... The fight or flight kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when you're in a state where you're naturally driven by fear, you're going to do things that are reactions instead of really thinking about what you're doing. Um, and because of that, that can that can make people who are good people do bad things. Um, and that's what's happening at the moment from what I've seen around, you know, in our, in our country or around the world is that people are just doing stupid things because they're really trapped in this fear. And then when fear comes out, they're in a reaction mode where they're just reacting to situations instead of taking a step back and thinking about it. So, you know, I don't engage in, in really a lot of that that stuff or a lot of talk about it, I guess, because it's just, to me, I see it as just being absolute rubbish. You know, mm. it's something that evokes 
it puts people into an emotional state. And um, going back to the whole schooling thing, that if you're living life where um, you're, you wake up in the morning and you go to a job that you dislike and you've learned to switch off those emotions and just sort of live by you know this dull feeling that you have in your body, watching the news starts evoking different emotions where you know it's like fear, pain, anger, stress, you know, all these emotions start coming out, which may not be the best for happy people, mm. but it's still an emotional journey. So you get that bit of that, you get a bit of energy and a bit of excitement in life. And then all of a sudden they give you the fluffy dog story or, you know, the cat rescued from a tree from a firefighter. <laughs> and then, you know, you feel good for a split second and then it's, you know, hate, anger, all of these emotions come back out. So you get on a roller coaster and people become addicted to that feeling. Um, and so that's why that's why like I, I meet people on the street and they go, how do you not watch the news for three to six months? Like how do you know? How do you? How can you not know what's going on in the world? Yeah, I know. As if it's like you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not. I'm not going to change. I'm not. I can't change the situation that's happening in Iraq at the moment. What exactly. I can do though is I can inspire twenty other people today mm. to switch off their TV and to go and do something that they love because the more loving people in the world the better place that the world's going to be. And if I start with the direct environment around me, then hopefully it will create a, a ripple effect or an impact on the, the people in my country and then for my country, the world. Um, yeah, and I think that, you know, that those things that we focus on actually grow and they they really do grow. So if, every, if everyone's focusing on all the bad things in the world, they're going to grow as well. It's like when we see, you know, one plane come down and then where everyone's focused on it and then we, th we see three others come down straight away. You know, it's not a coincidence, is it? No, no. Well, yeah, it's we definitely we definitely put ourselves in situations where we see things. I mean, in a, from a psychological standpoint, the brain can only take in a small amount of information every second, as in the conscious part of it. So we're consciously aware of only a very small amount of what's going on at the moment. Like for most of the listeners now, you know, their food's digesting and they're not even thinking about it. Their <laughs> yeah. heart rate is changing depending on the emotional states that they're going through, and they're not even thinking about it. These are all unconscious patterns. So. I remember walking down the street with one of my friends uh, probably about three or four years ago and his, his net worth is around uh, probably, I don't know, maybe about 100 million bucks. Um, so, you know, high net worth guy, awesome person, um, really passionate. Like he's, he's like us. He's just a really, really fun guy and that's why he tracks the people who he does to create the businesses that he does. Mm -hmm. um, and when he walks down the street, we'd be walking down there and I was struggling financially at that time. I had, um, you know, a business that almost went bankrupt and, I think you know. Sometimes you have to have a few failures before you really realize what you're doing in life, and so that you can have a few big wins. And um, we're just walking down the street, and he saw something, and he said, "Oh, look, that would be a fantastic business opportunity right there if they just did this, this, and this." And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Well, if they just did this, this, and this, and this, that business would be absolutely thriving." And what I realized then was that his brain was so switched on to see. It's to make businesses work and that's why he was so successful in the business field was that his brain was hardwired to see business in a different way and to see the things that work well, whereas I couldn't see it. And then I started looking around and wondering, I wonder if there's all these opportunities out there for people to really live life with abundance, whether it's an amazing relationship or whether it's happiness or whether it's great health or whatever it is. There's all these opportunities, yet they're unaware of it and because they're unaware of it, those things could be right in front of them, yet they still don't see it. And there's a thing called a scotoma, and a scotoma is where your brain blanks things out where it believes aren't important. And it's sort of like you know, um, if you're if if you're in the fridge, so you open up the fridge and you're looking for food, 
and you're looking for that, you know, jar of whatever it is or, or you know. Almond butter. Yeah, <laughs> the, the almond butter in the fridge. You stand there and you go, where's the damn almond butter? And you start getting all like stressed out because the almond butter's, butter's not in there. And, you know, you say to someone who you're living with, what did you do with the almond butter? Where is it? And they say, it's on the shelf. And you're looking on the shelf, you can't see it. And then all of a sudden they come along and they grab it out and they go, what's this right in front of your face? <laughs> yeah. And you just didn't see the damn almond button. It was right there. And then mum says, you had a man look. <laughs> exactly right. That's what it's defined as, um, the man look. Um, not, not, that, uh, not that that's been sexist or anything at all. Um, but you, you know what I mean? Like, um, there's, so many, there's so much great opportunities out there. It's just people don't realize it. And it's probably the same conversation that you have where people tell you that um, you know, eating healthy food is really expensive. And so when they go to the shops, all they see is this expensive, healthy food, yet the cheap food's there as well that's – or the, you know, the inexpensive food that's good quality that's right in front of them, but they just don't see it. Yeah. yeah. Because to them, that's their, their belief structure is only giving them what they see. Um, and social media is an awesome amplifier of that. I mean, for me, watching social media is, is absolutely awesome. And I don't watch it because I judge. I watch it because I can see what's actually happening in people's lives – and my brain is hardwired to help them. So I can see the things that would help them overcome the problems that they're having. But you know, like this conversation, which you might see every now and again, um, why do people always take advantage of me? You, you know, those sort of things that you might see pop up on Facebook every day or <laughs> yeah. people are so cruel. And then the word, like when you have a look at that people, people is a generalization. So that pretty much means every person. So people, every person are bad or why are people so evil, then all that's happening is their brain's actually hardwired to look for people who are evil. So the great person could be standing in front of them right now, yet they'll completely reject them because they're looking for the evil people to back up their own belief structures. Mm. Um, and it's like when you go and buy a new car. You know, you, you go out looking at the new car, you've never seen the car, you know, no one else has got that same car in the same color. And then you buy it and within the first week, everyone's driving the same damn car with the same <laughs> yeah. damn car. Yeah. Yeah, it's because now your brain starts switching on to look for that thing. Um, and I do it in my seminars. You know, if, I, if a Ferrari drives past me, I can remember that for months, that there was a, a red Ferrari that I saw drive past me a month ago on this road at that time, yet a 1,000 or 10,000 other red cars have driven past me in the last week and I haven't even noticed them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hope that's making sense to whatever question it was you asked me like half an hour ago. No, that, this you know? is good. This, <laughs> this is our conversation. How important do you think it is? You know, for me, I found that staying in the right vibration is just so important to attract those things that you actually want in your life. But let's, you know, we've outlined that issue. How does someone sort of go, okay, well, how on earth do I actually retrain my brain to start looking for these good things and to start attracting these good things into my life cool that's an awesome question now that that's that's a huge 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 uh, question because i could go on that's i could do a whole uh, week-long seminar just on that question yeah the the whole vibrational thing is a great like it's something great to talk about but i try and stay clear of that because it depends like i for the average person it's the vibration thing is hard to try and understand so i'll, I'll bring it back to how does this relate to our normal lives? Now, I remember watching The Secret like, you know, 10 years ago when it came out and I absolutely loved it. I watched it every day and um, because at that time I was going through chronic fatigue um, and I'd just come out of depression and at 15 I tried to commit suicide. So there was all of this sort of, there was all of this crap around me that, um, that I didn't want to go back into. So I was watching The Secret and, you know, they tell you that, 
if you, if you have all these positive thoughts and these great intentions, then all of a sudden your life will work out great. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever sat down with a business and you've just thought about all these checks rolling in and <laughs> you've got a post box and you haven't done anything for a week, all of a sudden the bills stack up and the checks don't come in. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's the crucial part that they missed out of the secret is that you actually have to do something. Yeah. Like you've actually got to get off your bum and go and do something. Now, a common myth that a lot of people have is that they need to be confident before they go and do something. Now, I, I mean, I created a whole audio program. So um, if anyone's lacking confidence, there's an audio program that I created, which is called um, Flick the Confidence Switch. And it's a two-disc audio program about how you boost your confidence. Um, because a lot of people are suffering from a lack of confidence and that sort of brings them down. What the audio program goes into though, and it goes into detail about how to create that confidence or to how to have that belief structure to do the things that you need to do in life to create the life that you want. Um, what, what you actually need is that when you want to create change, you don't need confidence, you need courage. And it's something completely different. And the reason why I say that is that when you're confident, confident comes with competence and that comes with time. So if I were to go out surfing with you, I, I haven't surfed for probably 10 years, 12 years. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I get out on the board, I'm out the back just waiting for a couple of waves to come through and all of a sudden I start catching one and the front of my board dives under and it flips me over and you know, <laughs> I come up with, you know, sand all down my backside and I'm, you know, struggling with all this water going in my mouth and down the back of my throat. And, <laughs> you know, like that's... That's not confidence. You don't need confidence at that point. You need courage at that point because you need courage to get back on the board after you've been dunked to do it again. And the first thing really that you need to be able to create courage is the vision of what you want and then you set goals off of that vision because a vision is the ideal. And a lot of people live with the ideal or a lot of people I meet live in the ideal world, which is perfectionism. And perfectionism causes non-action. Mm. And that's because a lot of people, when they're perfectionists, will live lives with shoulds. I should go to the gym, I should get up, I should eat healthy, but should is a guilt word and it's a non-action word. So if I go into an example, if I'm going to get out of bed in the morning and I say I should get out of bed, I should get out of bed, I should get out of bed, when the alarm goes off, I can lie in bed for half an hour and say I should have got out of bed, but then what happens is I just start feeling guilty and then I hate myself and then I tell myself about the 20 reasons why this week that things haven't gone right and why I should feel guilty about that. And it just creates this huge point of pain and guilt because there's no action. Whereas if I sat in bed and the alarm went off and I go, okay, am I getting out of bed now or am I going to stay in bed for another half an hour? Once I make that decision, so I'm either getting out of bed or I'm not getting out of bed. If I choose not to get out of bed, then I can turn the alarm off and I can just relax for half an hour because I've already made a decision. There's no guilt there. It's just, it is what it is. Like I've made the decision. I'm staying in bed for half an hour. I've done the analysis and I'm either getting out now or I'm not getting out for another half an hour. And so I can relax. Yeah. So really, the I, I like to get away from perfectionism because it just causes non-action and that comes again back from the schooling system where you're either right or you're wrong. Mm. In the real world, there is no right and wrong because you can do the right thing at the wrong time and still fail. You can do the wrong thing at the right time and when everything's going well, like if you go back to the stock market back in the late 90s where... You, had, you could have no idea what you're doing with stocks and just throw in cash in, you know, in some tech company or something like that before the bubble burst. You could throw in cash, have no idea, and walk away with a million bucks. Yeah. But if you did that now, you, throw in, you, know, you could throw in a million bucks, and if you've got no idea, you'll probably lose it all. Mm. So 
there, there is no really right and wrong in the real world, especially in the business world. You've just got to be really creative. Yeah, and I think that people, just to jump in there, I think that people, because they can do certain things very, very well, they actually focus on those things, even if the return on investment, be it monetary or health or happiness or whatever, even though the ROI is actually really, really small. So we get really good at doing unimportant things. So I think that's actually like a, a form of you know, laziness, don't you think? Yeah, in, in a way. I mean, it's um, we all want to feel happy, but if we feel... If we feel unhappy stepping up to the plate and taking action when the odds are against us, then we'll just go back to doing the things that we know. And even if those things that we know aren't the most important things, I mean, we all like to tick at, tick the boxes as though we feel like we're moving forward. Yeah. I saw an awesome picture the other day and, and I used to think about um, when I used to work in the gyms for years, was sitting on an RPM bike and you can be, you know, like those um, stationary bikes. Yeah, if you yeah. you can pedal your guts out on one of those bikes and you don't get anywhere, you know, but it feels like you feels, feels like, like you're working out, but <laughs> yeah. like you're not moving forward. Yeah, so that's a lot of people live life like that. Like they can be going going hammer and tongs every day, and they you know they've ticked a hundred boxes of all the things that they've done, but they're not going anywhere. Mm. And it's just because the they're putting the unimportant things as important things, and they're actually choosing not to look at the things that would really make the difference. Um. And again, that's a hard thing because we all like to do what we. It's not. I don't. I don't think we all like to do what we love, but we all like to do the things where we feel like we're accomplishing something. But there's a difference between feeling like we're accomplishing something and actually accomplishing our vision, which is completely different. Um, but going back to perfectionism, the vision, the future vision of what we want to create is the ideal, but the ideal is like the horizon. No matter how much, how far you walk forward, you're never going to get to the horizon. It's always a, a moving target. Mm. Um, and so the vision keeps changing. That's why it's so important to set realistic goals in with time points because then you can actually see whether you're on track to getting where you want to go. Um, but the vision always keeps changing because the more successful you become, the happier you become, the greater life becomes, the healthier you become. There's always another level. Yeah, another yeah. It's like when you get to the top top of the mountain, you see more a different a new horizon. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. And um, yeah, it's just I think a lot of people in this day and age get trapped by their vision of what they want to create, and then it just confuses them, or they get stressed out and they think it's too far away. Or for people like me who are massive action takers uh, and someone who likes to not ride an RPM bike but likes to ride you know a, a racing bike but I go flat out every day still um, that it, it can it can catch you out if um, if you let the vision or the the horizon be your your marker for your success because you never really feel like you're successful if you're focused on the vision and I guess the health industry is rampant with that um, I used to work with a lot of um, the bodybuilding crew and you know they would have They'd create these amazing figures, and they'd get on stage for one day where you know they'd be they'd water depleted, they'd done all this stuff which was pretty much destroying their health mm. um, and destroying their mental health, and then they'd get off stage and they'd eat a pizza because they'd restricted themselves for so long that then they'd go on these binge eating attacks, and within two weeks their body looked fantastic because instead of having all veins and you know all this stuff, they actually looked like a really healthy human being. <laughs> yeah. um, and and they they were you know in the probably the top one percent of the the greatest looking people on the planet 
yet they were absolutely miserable because to them they'd set their their benchmark as a horizon instead of setting their benchmark of how you actually can live and and live a life. Yeah. Really. Because, I mean, you can't live life like that. It's just they do something for a set point in time, and I'm not against that. It's just, you know, coming back to being realistic, you have to set goals and then understand where the benchmarks are to feel good about what you've done and then go back to living a life where you can feel happy and fulfilled and things like that instead of just, you know, focusing on that horizon. Yeah, and I know you're you're aware of, um, you know, Bob Proctor's stuff and whatnot, and he talks about not getting lost in the results and always looking for the results uh, at the results for confirmation that what you're doing is right. You know, you've, you've kind of got to take a certain amount of responsibility over what's going on and actually just trust that the vision you have will get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I mean, with the vision, when I first started out, you know, I was the, the depressed kid who'd failed at school, who my, my big changing point in my life, like the biggest thing that changed my life, well, the two or three big things actually, was um, being suicidal at 15, then getting out of that and working towards what I want, wanted, but I still felt a bit lost. I became a diesel mechanic by trade uh, at the start of the mining boom, so there was a lot of money being thrown around. I could see that people who were working in that industry were miserable most of the time, yeah. and I just didn't want to go back to being depressed and feeling like life was worthless. Um, and then my best friend's three-year-old niece was killed in a car accident. Um, and that really made me assess life. And I asked, what's the purpose of my life? You know, why do I exist? Why am I here? And also, what are my natural talents? Like, what are the things that I'm naturally gifted at that I don't even have to really work for, but things work well when I just stay in that place? Um, and it took a couple of years to figure that out. But once I got that, it created a, an amazing vision. And then it's almost like you have to have hope. Hope that it's going to work out, that if you keep taking action, you know that you're heading in the right direction. And yeah. slowly over time, you started getting those results back and it's like an investment. You know, you put the money in at first and nothing happens and it feels like you're going nowhere. So you get a bit down on yourself and you have more down days than you do good days. But after a while, you start to see the, the, the cash coming back into the account and you go, wow, this is, this is starting to work. And over a 10-year period, the bank account's full and you can't spend the money fast enough you know, as, as though you're making it. And, and I think life's like that. You know, I just use money as the analogy because most people get it. But life's like that. If I go go now, I, I probably have maybe, I don't know, maybe an hour or two a year where I feel depressed and maybe, you know, a couple of days or maybe a day or half a day a month where I get a bit frustrated or a bit peed off or whatever it is. And like everybody, that, everybody has that. That's, yeah, everybody does. Yeah. I mean, I used to think that, these people who are who I would study would never have that because they'd mastered, you know, they'd master their mindset, they'd master their life. <laughs> yeah. But I think life is like a slingshot where sometimes you've got to be pulled back to accelerate forwards. Um, and so when I have those days, I'm just comfortable. I just lock my office door and I go, right, team, I'm out of action today. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here. I'm doing whatever I want. So I meditate for a bit. I lie on the couch for about three or four hours. I might listen to some music, watch a couple of YouTube videos. And I just, I just allow myself to be in that place where, yeah, I can be frustrated and, yeah, I'm allowed to be angry if I feel like it or I'm allowed to be peed off or whatever I feel like because I know that tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I've sort of done it. You know, I've, I've done it. I'm over it. Let's go. And then I'm back, on, I'm back on the horse again and things are going well. Yeah, and I think you've touched on a really good point there is that, you know, we can accept these bad feelings and we don't need to dwell on them because like we were saying before what you focus on actually grows so if we get lost in these negative feelings and these you know these down times then they're just going to become more frequent 
Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, I'm, I could. That's a whole other like couple of day seminar as yeah. well on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so once people have that vision about what they want to create, if they're using hope and courage, I think courage is the key word because you've got to, you've almost got to have balls to be able to do it. You know, to step outside of the square and go, I'm going to make this happen. And yeah, I'm going to get kicked to the curb a lot at first. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm probably going to do things that my friends and my family may not agree with at first. But then after a while, the results start coming in and other people start seeing the vision. And I remember there was a story about Walt Disney. Um, and well, Walt Disney had passed away actually. So he passed away and it was the opening of Disney World, I think it was the first Disney World or first Disneyland. And Walt Disney had always passed, had, had passed away. And one of the journalists was asking his brother a question. And he said to Walt Disney's brother, isn't this a bittersweet moment because you know, Walt created this great vision and he had the idea and everything, but he's, he never got to see the product. And Walt Disney's brother turned around. Sorry, this just gave me goosebumps again thinking about this. <laughs> um, he said, um, you know, to the journalist, you're a fool, my friend. It's because Walt Disney saw this vision at, you know, it's because he saw this vision originally that it's here today. He always knew that this was here. He, he already saw the vision. He knew exactly how it was going to be. It's just nobody else did. And yeah. now that it's here, everybody else can see it. Um, and I think that's what happens at first when you start working towards your vision. Um, you know, no one else sees it, but then after a while, people start seeing it. And then almost, it's almost as though everybody jumps on the bandwagon. They say, oh, you're so lucky. You're lucky. That you, <laughs> yeah. that. you know, when I quit my job as a diesel mechanic, my parents almost had a bloody heart attack because <laughs> you know, for them I could have gone and worked in the mines and made a you know hundred and something maybe even 200 grand a year couple of weeks on couple of weeks off you know I would have been miserable my whole life but you, but know you, would, have, would, you would have died with lots of money in your bank account oh, I would have had cash and houses and new cars and oh the, the joy so um you know I gave that up and people around me have gone you're, you're crazy you're going to become a personal trainer and back then it was two years to become a personal trainer so I was already studying after hours yeah. from working 10 hour shifts as a diesel mechanic um, coming back and then doing my two years of study but um when I did that I just I knew that something had to be different and I knew that one of my passions was really helping people in a way to inspire them to live a great life because I knew that life was worth more than living feeling like crap because that's where I'd come from um, and so I wanted other people around me to be happy. And um, yeah, now I, now I get you know, messages from friends and phone calls of people who I haven't seen for years and they go, oh, you know, you're so lucky that you, you, know, you, you get to hang around the people you do and you get to do what you love. And you know, it's as though I just woke up one day and all this stuff was here. Mm, yeah, you, yeah. Know, <laughs> you know, it was the courage to step away from that stuff and to just be driven by that vision and, and know that things are going to work out if I just kept working. And it was an easy journey. You know, at first I got kicked to the gutter more than I got more than I got to stand up, to be honest. But now when I look back, it was worth it. Yeah, and I think one thing that really resonated with me when you and I caught up for coffee was when you said, you know, you've actually, you know, I can see you're making decisions as, you know, this type of business owner, but you want to be this type of business owner, you should be making decisions, you know, as if you are already. So, you know, to in order to be something, we must no what is it in order to become something we must first be something sort of thing i thought that was a really good point that you made oh completely um that's something that i go through in a lot of my seminars and a lot of events that you have to be before you become it was a i, I read that quote probably about nine years ago eight years ago yeah and i didn't get it like i just i didn't get it at first and now it makes so much sense to me um that if you want to be 
like let's look at weight loss because I know that this podcast is more for people who are looking to improve their health or you know improve their lifestyle, but normally from a healthy sort of perspective. Um, if we look at weight loss, weight loss is something where people think that if I go to the gym and I'm healthy, then I'll lose weight. Yet they look in the mirror and the first thing they do for a lot of people is that they'll go, oh, look how fat I am. Oh, I'm so disgusting. I'm so horrible. I feel gross. You know, I ate that bit of chocolate last night, which now turned into a block. I'm so <laughs> disgusting. I'm such a horrible person. And, you know, so all of these all of these belief structures come out of them at that point in time when they hit their low. And what they're actually saying is at an unconscious state, this is who I believe I am. And anytime you use the word or anytime you use the, the phrase or the sentence, I am whatever, whatever that, that word is, once you use that, that's actually a belief about who you are as a person and that's who you live as. So for instance, if I want to lose weight or if I have clients who want to lose weight, I will give them a, an affirmation saying it's something along the lines of, I'm, I'm well on the way to becoming the healthy vitality person that I want to become or that I am. Um, or I'm well on my way to becoming financially abundant. Because normally what happens when I go to a lot of these seminars, um, and I've spent about a quarter of a million dollars on study um, because I just love, I'm a study junkie. Um, if, if it can help other people and it helps me understand things from a better perspective, and I also like to listen to other people's perspectives on topics. Um, that I've been to these seminars where there's like these affirmations, and so they'll give you an affirmation like, you know, I'm, I'm healthy and lean, I'm healthy and lean. Yet if you're 100 kilos overweight or 100 kilograms overweight and you say I'm healthy and lean, in the back of your brain it goes, no, you're bullshit. Not. <laughs> you, know, you, get that, you get that like bullshit yeah. and, and sorry if I'm, if I'm swearing, I'm just a passionate guy so I do, I do use that. So sorry to any listeners if you don't like a, a few real I'm, life I meant words. to say that at the start, didn't I? Yeah, <laughs> if language offends, tune out now. <laughs> yeah. Just, just clock off. You'll miss all the good information but uh, you know, at least, at least you'll, you'll keep your, uh, your swear word down. Well, let's um, let's just keep this shit real. <laughs> yeah, um, I and and we spoke about this before as well, just a little bit, a little bit off topic. I actually found that when I started, um, you know, using more real swear words in my, it just, I mean, like, I drop a few f bombs every now and again, and I say shit a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I found was that in in our marketing, it actually pushed away a lot of people who were too tight, like as in people who lived with too many rules, who were judging other people. Because I mean, if you're using swear words, is it really, is it really the person who's using the swear word who's a bad person, or is it the person who's projecting their negative stuff onto other people about what that means to them? Because all language has a meaning, I guess, in, yeah, in some it's way, the shape, feeling or form. behind the language as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I so what I found anyway was that once I started being real and I could just be myself in these things and talk to people as though they're real humans. Once I started doing that, our marketing and people coming to our seminars and the results I was getting and the fun people were, were having was awesome because you could just be real, like you could let your hair down. The world's the world's too sometimes. Well, the world can sometimes be just too wound up in who we need to be, especially uh, in the corporate world. Like I go into corporate seminars, and within the first five minutes, I've said you know f a few times and a few you know I've dropped a few shit bombs in there, <laughs> and and all of a sudden it's like you can see the tires starting to loosen and and it's like. There's people start breathing again because you know I think sometimes the corporate world can be so tied up in this whole image thing that you know they 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 lose the reality of that people are real mm. um, and I think that comes across in a lot of businesses still today where consumers don't feel connected to 
the the brands or the even the brands aren't connected to people. It's almost like that they just use them as money making machines instead of you know that they're dealing with real life human beings who have real life feelings and you know real life problems and pains that they they're looking to solve. Um, so yeah. Um, Sorry, sorry if my swearing offends anyone. No, that's fine. What were we talking about before that? Let's let's bring this back to people listening. So let's say that someone, for instance, you did the weight loss analogy, but let's say that someone actually just wants to revamp their whole life and really they don't even know where to start. So what are some of the questions they can ask themselves? What are some things they can do to start each day to put themselves in that right sort of mindset, that right vibration, if you will, to really get things happening? Awesome, cool. Um, the thing we're talking about before, if I go back to it, was um, was about the weight loss and, and how when I'd go to these seminars, I would say that that's right. Yeah, um, you know, I I am happy. Well, if you've got depression and you say I am happy, I am happy, I am happy a hundred times, in the back of your brain it says bullshit, bullshit, mm. bullshit, and so it, it it almost tells yourself that you're a liar, and because of that, it almost creates an internal fight, like an internal dialogue fight, and so you, it'll just it'll burn you out. So what I like to say is I'm on the way to becoming. Yeah. Or because then it's it's real life. Like I can go because you can change your focus. Like if I'm if I'm down or if I'm miserable, right? If I'm if I'm if I've got depression and I say um, I am happy, I am happy. Your brain will say no, you're not. If I say I'm miserable, then I'm just reinforcing the pattern. So what if I say I am well on the way to becoming a happy person? The focus actually then changes to happiness. So yeah. even though I'm not, even though I know that the belief is that I'm not in the place that I want to be now. I'm moving towards happiness, and the last thing—the last thing in my mind—is happiness. All words have a an emotional connection. So if I leave it with the word happiness, I know that I'm actually in a happy place right then when I said that word. It's just the old stuff might come back in. So the more that you say that, it starts affirming that feeling back into your body, where eventually it will imprint your cells enough where it'll just be the way you live. Um, so that's what I was getting at with that. So it's important for listeners to understand that because. I think that can confuse people a lot with beliefs and affirmations and, you know, reading a lot of books on spirituality and things like that where they say, you know, just use these affirmations about how great it is, you know, how great the world is and how great life is and how you're abundant and all this stuff. Well, if you're broken, miserable, telling yourself that you're abundant is, you know, it's not going to work. And, you know, it's after a while you just become frustrated and, and upset at yourself about it or you become frustrated and upset at the authors who wrote those books in the first place. Um, <laughs> yeah. So how do we mitigate those things like in our everyday life and how do we sort of, like I said before, get ourselves in that right place where we can start to make significant changes? Cool. Um, all right. That's that's my four-day event which is called Life by Design. <laughs> that's yeah. what that's all based on. But really, really to cut it down uh, quickly, the first thing you need is you need your vision. So you need to know what you want. What what is it that you want to create in the world? Why are you here? What are what are your natural gifts? What are your natural talents? The first thing I do is I'll find out what people want. So what's your purpose in life? Um, and I know that's a really deep question, but in if you look for it, you'll find it. Sometimes it can take a month. Sometimes it can take six months. Sometimes it can take you know two to three years, like it did for me. But I was already taking action. I was already on the journey because I knew that I wanted life to be better, but I didn't really know what my purpose was in life. Um, once I found it, though, it gave me really clear direction. Um, and it, it can also, I think in life, in order to know, once you've got the vision, you know what you want, but you also know what you don't want and what you don't stand for. Like one of the things that I don't stand for in life is mediocrity because I think that being mediocre is just like, to me, it's that's almost just a dirty word. Like someone can... Someone can 
yell the worst abuse at me, but if they tell me that I'm mediocre, that's like the thing that stabs me the most because I, I just don't like that whole thing of fitting into the, that we give up who we are to become average. Yeah, so there are different levels of mediocrity, obviously. So, you know, someone's basically mediocrity in this context, we're just saying is not achieving your dreams. Yeah, yeah. yep. And it's not living life as though it's the true you. You're yeah. living someone else's life. So whether yeah. it's your parents or, you know, societies or whether it's your religion or whether it's your beliefs or whatever it is, it's living someone else's ideals, but it's not living you. Um, and I think in order to create true happiness and in order to create a true amazing life, you need to figure out who you are first. Um, and that's something that we don't do in this day and age that for most people, they just don't, it's not something that parents teach their kids where they say, you know what, we're going to let you do whatever whatever you want and you'll figure out what it is that you're going to become on the way. Mm. Um, and, you know, you've got to go to school and you've got to do some painting, you've got to do some drawing and, you know, things like that. But creativity is really the thing that inspires that and that's the thing that's kicked out of most kids from a young age. Um, you know, th these days, if you do if you do really well in the arts, it's almost like you're this hippie tripper who isn't going to get anywhere in the world. But if you do well at maths and English and um, sciences, then you're you know you're going to do really really well in this world. Yet to solve a problem, you need creativity. So we should be nurturing more creativity than we should maths and English and science. Yet that's taking out of the, that's been taken out more and more from our curriculum. Mm. Um, and I truly believe that that's why depression and suicide is increasing rapidly in the westernized world, especially amongst teenagers. Um, because if you can't, if you if you're not creative, then you can't you can't get yourself out of problems. Yeah. So um, yeah, going back to it, you, the first thing is figuring out what your vision is. What do you want to create? Um, getting clear on that, and then after that, create some goals so that you've got some set points in time. Now, goals don't really mean anything. Um, uh, again, going to so many goal-setting workshops and all of these things, it's, it's almost as though people put, uh, a lot of people will put so much emphasis on achieving their goals, yet it doesn't really create, it doesn't really make anything of us. It's actually the journey of who we become on the way to getting those goals that, that's the important thing. So the journey is far more important and it's far more fun than the goal itself. Mm. So if I'm driving from Adelaide to Melbourne with a bunch of my mates in the car, we don't just have fun when we get to Melbourne because that creates a boring car trip. You're, you have fun the whole way there. Like That's how I think about the car trip. I remember going on road trips with my mates <laughs> and the whole time you're having fun, you're doing stupid things. You know, The whole trip's a story in itself. Whereas a lot of people live life as though the goal is the story, like I've achieved this, I've achieved that, I've achieved this, but it's really got nothing, like there's no substance to it because they didn't think about the journey as being the important part. Yeah. Um, so the goals are the next thing. The power comes though when you figure out who you are and what are your natural talents. So on my wall, I actually have, um, I'm in my office at the moment, but actually out in our um, main like living area, I actually have a, a, a big, um, almost like a target-looking thing on the wall. And in the center, it has natural talents. Then in the next ring on the outside, it has things that I'm good at. And they're the things that I'm good at that I've trained myself to be good at. Then it says things I'm not so good at but I can do. And then on the outer ring, so there's four rings on the target. On the outer ring, it says do not touch. <laughs> okay? So things like computers. I do not touch because if I touch computers, I destroy them, okay? <laughs> I'm not a computer dude. Um, do not touch numbers as in like in my business, I look at the numbers 
but I do not do the accounting because I'm such a big picture creative person that when I look at numbers, to me, it just confuses me and it looks like a bunch of jargon on a page. Yeah. If I know the outcomes of those numbers, then I can piece them together in a way that I understand them, which then I can make decisions for the business going forward. So I know specifically the things that I shouldn't touch in business, but I know my natural talents, right? When I thought about this, I thought, what am I naturally gifted at? I'm gifted at talking. The best thing that I do is I talk. Um, and it's incredible because my mum popped past about two years ago and she bought all my report cards. Every report <laughs> card from reception to year 12 said, Michael talks too much. So that's, <laughs> that's every report card, every term said, Michael talks too much. Um, so that, that's just one of my natural talents. Like I really love talking to people and finding out about people. So I ask lots of questions. I talk. I give off information. I, I, that's something that I've always been gifted at. So that's in my center target. Then the next thing is, the other thing that I'm naturally good at is probably leading others. And every report card I had from when I was younger also said, Michael leads others astray. <laughs> now, that may have been a bad thing at school because I used to question and I would go against the grain. But in this day and age, it's great because now I go against the grain by saying, look, you don't have to, you don't have, to have a great education to become something in the world. You don't need to have all of the great great marks. You don't need to come from where you were spoon fed with money. You don't need all of that stuff. You don't need a university education. All you need is these specific things and you can create the life that you want. Now, if you've got all that stuff, even better. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm the uneducated dyslexic guy who had ADD at school, who couldn't sit still, who got in trouble all the time, who was expelled from school, you know, depression, all of this stuff. Yet, I am who I am today and I'm happy and I love my life and I love the people that I hang around. I love doing what I do and I wake up every day with this energy. Whereas when I, had, when I was being something I wasn't, I had no energy. I felt tired all the time. I felt lethargic. I was run down. I used to get colds and sick and you know I was, I was miserable. Mm. Um, so anyway, without going into all my things, but I found that my natural talents were the things that I was always good at. Now, when I put that together in a business formula, now I go around the country speaking on stages. So now I get paid money to speak. <laughs> you know, imagine if I went back to school and said, hey, teacher, do you know I can earn more money doing a 90-minute keynote presentation to a corporate business where I can charge $5,000 to do 90 minutes worth of work? I get paid more than you get paid in a month. And you're <laughs> the one who told me that, that I was going to go nowhere in life because I talk too much. You know, it's they're, they're, anything's possible. Now, not it was just that, I mean, it wasn't the teacher's fault. It's just they lacked vision about who I could become. Yeah. I knew it. They just didn't know it um, because they were defined by who they thought they could become as well. And obviously, there's a lot of great teachers out there um, who are really passionate about educating kids and who do amazing, amazing work out there. But then there's also teachers who have lost that passion as well. And there's also teachers who aren't doing the things that they love in life. And because of that, they project that onto their kids. And I think the teacher, the teachers who had a go at me for being who I was as a, as a child were probably those teachers who had lost that passion um, or weren't doing the thing they were passionate about as well. And I think everybody has those experiences to some extent, whether it be from a teacher or whatever, some sort of authoritative figure, authoritative figure in their lives. You know, there's always some sort of adversity against you know what it is that you want to achieve but what you're saying i think is that you've got to actually be true to what you want to achieve and really just hold to that vision or that calling with 
singleness of purpose, I suppose, to quote Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, yep, 100% agree. I mean, it's it does take time. I mean, when I say this in my seminars or my events or, you know, in some of my products or my online courses or whatever whatever it is, it seems like it's a long way away, but it's something that's always a work in progress. Like, I'm still defining my purpose now. Um, I'm very, very clear on it, but it gets clearer over time. And same as these natural talents that I've got, they become clearer over time. Um, and so what I found is that it, the best thing to do is just to start. And that's the key to everything. I mean, in business these days, if you've got an idea, you just start and you figure it out along the way. Yeah. If you wait, by the time you get going and you put all the pieces of the puzzle together, you, you'll be so far behind that there'll be other people who have grabbed your idea. And it's not that they grab your idea, that once you start talking about it, other people steal it. It's just that we... At an energetic level, if we go back to quantum physics and metaphysics, a, a thought is a vibration. Now, once you start putting that vibration out into the universe or into the world or whatever, however you want to define it, other people will start picking up on it and those thoughts will be happening in other places as well. All it takes is someone with the balls to go and create it, then that'll be the thing that happens. I mean, have a look at what happened with Facebook. There were other people out there who were doing it. Mm. It's just it really took someone to take it up another level to become what it is today and Mark Zuckerberg was that guy. Um, and the same with MP3 players and the iPods. You know, there were other companies out there making uh, making MP3 players at the time. Yet it took someone like Steve Jobs to just have the balls to stand up and say, you know what, we're going to do something so crazy, so different, and we're going to market it this way, and we're going to market it to this market, and this is this is what's going to happen. And even Apple, like Apple computers, are were the I think they were the wealthiest company um, three or four years ago before Steve Jobs passed away. They were one of the wealthiest or they had the biggest um, sales, uh, the biggest sales in the world um, in their business. They were sued for a billion dollars, a billion, like a billion dollars because their first bunch of iPods, their first, um, um, I think they were iPod Nanos or something like that. When they had um, put the coloring around it, the coloring started peeling off after a couple of months and so a consumer group got together and they sued Apple for that, you know, their products were faulty. You know, no one wants to buy something where in a couple of months the color comes off of it. Wow. But Apple had already made like $20 billion from it. So, you know, they'd made $20 billion and someone sued them for a million, uh, sorry, billion. Did Apple care? They already had the product out. They were already making a newer version. They changed that um, anodization on the outside. So now they're a better quality product. They didn't wait for the perfect thing to come into the marketplace before they would sell it. They just started selling it, and yeah. then there they refined it. And I think a lot of people in life wait for things to be perfect. You know, the right time, the right place, the right knowledge, the right circle of influence. It's just you get started and you figure it out along the way. And you know, you're going to get kicked to the curb. There's going to be lots of problems. And if you ever come to my event, I'm the realest guy. Like that's why I swear in my events, I'm real. I can tell you that every person I've met goes through issues, has problems, has stresses, has frustrations, has pain in their life. But it just depends. Are you going to have pain in your life because you're not doing the things that you enjoy or are you doing the things that you enjoy and the pain comes from not getting that thing fast enough? Or does the pain, you know, are you going to have the pain with happiness and the pain with enjoyment and joy? Like I have shit go down in my business every week. Every week there's a problem. Every day there's a problem in my business. Yet I, I deal with it because I'm happy and I'm joyful and I love doing what I do. And if I had a choice, this is the thing that I would rather do. Yeah, and, yeah. And because I come from that place, I don't go to bed at nighttime and lose sleep and, you know, I get all stressed out and all this stuff. It's like I do it because 
what else would I be doing? Like, I couldn't think of a better thing that I'd be doing right now anyway. So I might as well tackle the problems in this state, you know, in this with this emotional intensity, then let it get me down. Cool. And just to uh, wrap it up here, I know there's some cool events coming at the moment in Adelaide, but uh, I'm going to leave it up to you. What's the what's on the cards for you? What's the best way for people to uh, connect with you? Awesome. Well, the best way is jump on Facebook and look up the Mojo Master Coach. So um, it's got the coach at the end of it. It's just the Mojo, M-O-J-O, Master, M-A-S-T-E-R, Coach on Facebook and like our page and jump on and check out what I do. Um, I'm always putting out great information. There's podcasts. I do um, YouTube, heaps of YouTube stuff, um, blogs. I, I just love putting out content. I mean, I'm a free thinker, so when I think about something, I just chuck it out there and hope that it can help inspire or change someone's life or motivate somebody. Um, also, I've got an event coming up, which uh, is in two weeks in Adelaide, which is called Thrive Time. And I've brought across two of my close friends, uh, one being Bradley Smith, who's the Global Young Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm actually and coming to this event, by the way. This is, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> it's going to be absolutely awesome because Brad's one of the most passionate guys I've ever met. You know, I went to this seminar where I paid $10,000 to go to this three-day event, right? And at the time, I was broke. Like, my business had almost gone bankrupt, but I knew something had to change. So I went out and got a credit card, and I chucked the event on the credit card, <laughs> plus flights, plus accommodation, all this stuff. And I bought some cheap, stingy suit because I couldn't even afford a good a good quality suit. And I'm sitting next to a guy in this room with a Rolex that was probably worth more than the car that I was driving around in at the time. Um, you know, So this room was a high net worth event. It was full of like multimillionaires. And anyway, there's this young dude sitting in front of me with a hat backwards, black t-shirt, baggy pants. And I thought, who the hell is this kid? Like he could have dressed up for the event or bought a suit or something. Anyway, at, at the break time, he stood up. And people just came from everywhere and they're like hugging him and high-fiving him. He's waving to everybody and he had this huge smile on his face and people yelling out across the room at him. He's smiling back and yelling at them. And I thought, who is this dude? Like there's something magnetic about him. So I just, I'm one of those guys, like if I want to say hi to someone, I just walk up and I say hi, um, which is really amazing because up to 10, about 10 years ago, I couldn't even walk into a room with more than three people without almost crapping my pants. Um, so I just walked up to him and I said, hi, Michael, what do you do? And he introduced himself and he told me that he built motorbikes. And so I thought there was this young kid, you know, he'd, he'd probably had parents with heaps of cash. And anyway, he said, if you want, come to lunch. And he took me to lunch. And when he was there, he'd built this multi-million dollar empire as a 20-year-old kid um, because he loved riding motorbikes. And now he's got the fastest growing motorcycle brand in the world. And, you know, it sells all through America, through Europe. They were the first company in the world to print a 3D motorcycle on a 3D printer, and they just took it to the World uh, the World Expo in China. Um, so he's doing amazing, amazing things. So he built his first multi-million dollar company at 19, and that was just because he saw that a lot of motocross riders were were really good, and they love riding motorbikes, and they were passionate about it, yet most of them would drop out of the sport because they couldn't afford to keep racing every weekend and you know, buying new motorbikes when they crashed them and things like that. So yeah. his passion was really creating his own dream of being able to ride motocross professionally, um, but to stay in the game. Um, and then also he started building his motorbikes because he wanted to help young kids have the opportunity to ride motorbikes, but he didn't want parents to pay a lot of money because his parents didn't have a lot of money. Like he came from a housing commission um, house when he was when he was growing up. Um so he wanted to make a real difference in the world. And now he's 27. He's got six multi-million dollar companies. Um, he's the Australian Young Entrepreneur, a uh, two times Young Australian Entrepreneur of the Year. 
um, Global Young Entrepreneur of the Year. He was a Young Australian of the Year for Tasmania, and he's the only person in Austra- the only person in history ever to win four times Retail Business of the Year. Um, so he's doing amazing, amazing things. And la- earlier this year, or late last year, he was asked to be an advisor to the Reserve Bank of Australia um, for small business. So he goes in there and talks about small business to the Reserve Bank of Australia and advises them on common issues that small businesses are having now. Um, Amazing, amazing guy, and he's so passionate. He's probably one of the happiest people I've ever met, and he's just, he's, I can't say enough good words about him. He really is an amazing guy. So I'm bringing him to Adelaide because one of my passions is bridging the gap between entrepreneurs and the everyday person because these days, business owners and entrepreneurs aren't cigar-smoking dudes. They're, <laughs> they're a bunch of guys and girls who are really passionate and they've got a vision about what they want to create, and they're out in the world doing it doing it um, and they're really enjoying it and they're having a lot of fun and they're attracting great people into their lives. So I'm looking to bridge the gap and I'm also looking to inspire other people that if you've got a vision um, and you don't even know what that vision is, it could be, I mean, this this event is for small business owners, medium business owners, huge corporates because he travels around the country speaking to huge corporations about business um, um, and also even just someone with a vision or even if they don't have a vision, you know, how do you how do you start? Where do you start when you know that something's got to change, but you're not sure how to change it or, or how to go about it? That's why I'm bringing Brad across because his stories will really inspire people to start taking action and to do the thing that they love and that they enjoy. And he's also got some really good tips as well about some of the struggles and some of the obstacles that have allowed him to be the person he is today. Because, I mean, it's probably like you as well, Kale, where you know, a lot of people look at you and think, well, you know, you're, you're this way. I'm not like you. <laughs> but the truth is that we're all like that. You know, we've all got problems. We've all gone through crap in our lives. It's just for some of us, we don't let our problems in our past define our future. You know, we start creating that future each day. Like I wake up and I know what I want to create in the world today so that tomorrow I can have a better, an even better day tomorrow. And then that's, you know, what I do each day. I wake up and I go, why am I going to make today awesome? So that then tomorrow can be even more awesome than t- what today was, um, and that's the way I create my future. And, and I think being in a room with people like Brad and myself, and there's also a guy called James Gill Shannon who's in a similar situation as well, where um, he was a caddy for Greg Norman when he won the Australian Open, <laughs> um, and he saw Greg no- Norman this chopper land from out of nowhere, like he said it just came from out of the sky and landed. And Greg Norman gets into this chopper and just took off into the distance, and he went, "Wow." That's a lifestyle. That's a life where you know you play the game that you love, and then you get in a chopper and you fly to your boat. That's that's <laughs> life, right, um, and that's the life that most of us dream of as as kids as well, where we have that freedom to do the thing that it is that we want. And not everyone wants a chopper on a huge boat, but we all want that freedom to be able to creatively express ourselves and do the things that we love in life. Mm. Um, and so James. James created that by um, investing in the share market. Um, and so he built a company that now was voted in the top 10 hedge funds over $50 million um, globally by Bloomberg. Um, and the reason why he did that was because it allowed him the freedom to live the life that he wanted. And he travels around the world working with, um, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, with Tony <laughs> Robbins. He's one of Tony Robbins' wealth advisors. Um, and he also started another business because a lot of his friends were struggling financially. And he thought, well, if I can do this professionally as a job and help, you know, a lot, a lot of people make a lot of money. What I what I'm really passionate about is helping, you know, mums and dads and, you know, people who are starting out their their journey into life, you know, as teens and adults. If I can inspire them and show them a way of 
creating enough wealth in their life where they can truly live the thing that they're passionate about, then this is what I want to do as well. So his, his other business actually teaches people how to invest. Um, and so, yeah, he, he's doing some really, really cool stuff. Um, and as I said, you know, I really like attracting awesome people. You know, I don't work with people who like to rip people off. I like to work with people who are doing awesome stuff and who love each and every day when they wake up. And that's why I'm bringing these two people across because I found a lot of people in Adelaide, like a lot of really good people in their industries, a lot of influencers and a lot of the major speakers skip Adelaide. And yeah. hey, that annoys me. Like I've got to, I've got to keep traveling interstate or you know overseas to go and see some of the top speakers in the world because they just skip Adelaide because we get told, you know, like I, I, I get to interact with a lot of them. A lot of them are my friends now because I get to speak on their stages. Um, but I get told that, you know, Adelaide's boring. Nothing ever happens here. People in Adelaide aren't committed to their success. You know, these are the common things that I get told. And in a way, I partially agree, but there's also a lot of people that are really wanting to take action and make stuff happen. Um, and so that's why I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bring some of the top people here. I'm going to push hard and get people to this event because I know that if I can do this, I know it's, a lot of the top guys are watching me right now to see what's going to happen, but I want to show them that I can sell out an event in Adelaide and that people in Adelaide do want this sort of stuff. They really want the top leaders to be here yeah. and that they are prepared to create a change. Cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about this event. I'm actually, I was telling people the other day, I was like, yeah, you know, this guy who's like started his own motorbike label and all this stuff. Um, I think it's going to be really good. Oh, he's, uh, I mean, I can't say enough good words about this guy. Like, uh, we, when he comes over here, like he could stay at a hotel and I always invite him to stay at our house and he's so humble that he just, you know, like he'll come and stay with us for a couple of days and yeah. he, he's so flat out, but he'll come and stay with us for a couple of days. And I just remember like last time I made him a juice, right? And, you know, like just a juice. I, I said, look, Brad, when you wake up in the morning, I'll make you fresh juice. I love my juice in the morning. So I made him a fresh juice and when he came out, it was like the most exciting thing that had ever happened. He, was like, <laughs> like, he couldn't say enough good things. He's like, oh man, I can't believe you made me this juice. Like, oh, this is phenomenal. You know, like he's just one of those people, like he's so passionate and so just, he just loves being around people and he, he's, he really is an absolute inspiration to me because I thought when I first started business, I thought, you know, you had to be pretty hard to make it in the business world. Whereas I see guys like Brad and Brad's like the most humble, down to earth, caring person I've ever met. Um, and to see him doing such amazing things, like he's a global leader in what he's doing. Um, to see people like that is so refreshing in this day and age that there are awesome people out there like you and myself and Brad and James and just so many other people that I get to hang around with that are just are, are really real people who are doing some really cool stuff and they're loving it too and that's what I love. I really love seeing people doing stuff and loving it. Cool. You know, making changes. Yeah, and the event, uh, where can people find out more about the event? Is that on your Facebook page as well? Yeah, the best way is to go to the Facebook page or the event is called Thrive Time. So it's thrivetimeevent.com and they can go there and check out the page. Also as well, if you buy tickets, um, we're also giving away a motorbike. Brad said to me, look, if we're going to put on an event, let's do something pretty cool. Sweet. So <laughs> a $4,000 brand spanking new cafe racer motorbike um, just because we can. Um, so I think Brad will probably even ride that up on stage because he loves doing that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we're giving that away on the night as well. And for each person that you invite along, so if you've got, say, five or six friends who you think that might be interested in this when you check out the page, for each person you invite, we'll give you an extra ticket um, to go in the entry to win the motorbike as well. And we also give your friend an entry as well for buying a ticket. So, um, you know, it's sort of our way of thanking people for being committed to their own growth and their own journey and coming along and listening to 
some of the awesome stories and some of the massive problems that we've all had to go through to get where we are today and, and how we overcame those huge obstacles. Sweet. I reckon that'll so, that'll do. Yeah. So yeah, that that last one was 